And all of God's people said amen. Thank you, Lauren. Thank you, team. A while back when a publisher came to me and said, you know, I know your church literally started in a prayer meeting and that your church is built on prayer. Would you write a book on prayer? I said, no. <laughs> our generation knows more about prayer than any previous generation. We have more resources on prayer than any previous generation. And I just don't need, we don't need another book on prayer. We know more about prayer. We know why to pray, how to pray, where to pray, which way to pray, who to praise the best. We have so many resources on the subject except for one thing. We don't pray. I want the publisher explained to me <laughs> that this is not going to be another book on prayer, but it is modeling of how others have modeled prayer, and it's so different from what's available, I acquiesced. I appreciate modeling. People have modeled for me, and the reason I'm here, because there are so many people have modeled for me. One of the great models that have impacted my life, just went to be with the Lord last week, the Archbishop of Sydney, who was my mentor in Sydney, and and a giant on whose shoulders I stand. Just went to glory at the age of 95. I have many people who have modeled, and therefore I'm a huge believer in modeling. I believe that modeling uh, is, covers every aspect of life, uh, uh, not just some areas, uh, or not just talking, <laughs> but actually living example. So I'm a big believer on modeling. So in the book I, that was just released, Life-Changing Prayers, I show how others in history, and these are not the big names like Abraham, the man of faith. These are very ordinary people. I deliberately chose them as in very ordinary people, and yet they have received some extraordinary answers to their prayer. Very ordinary people. It's not how and why. So far, the response I've been receiving literally globally about the book is that for the first time, many people are writing to me and saying, for the first time in our prayer life, we are learning to take hold of the promises of God and never let go. And that is really the first element that we must understand about prayer, is taking the promises of God seriously. Every one of them is for us and for now and for every one of us. And that's what God wants us to learn about prayer. A humorous poet, a bit of a country boy, penned the following words. They're not going to come clear until toward the end, so let me just read them to you. He said, the proper way for men to pray, said Deacon Lummel Keys, and the only proper attitude is down upon your knees. Nay, I should say, the way to pray, said Reverend Dr. Wise, is standing straight with outstretched arms and raptured in his eyes. No, 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 said Elder Snow. Such a position is too proud. A man should pray with eyes fastened closed and head contractly bowed. 
It seems to me his hands should be austerely clasped in front of him. With both thumbs pointing to the ground, said the Reverend Dr. Blunt. Last year, I fell in Hodgkin's well. Ahead first, said Cyrus Brown. With both heels are sticking up, my head a pointing down, and I done prayer right then and there. Best prayer I've ever said. <laughs> the prayerest prayer I've ever prayed is standing on my head. Well, I think that said it all. <laughs> and we're going to see today how David turned his cave into a prayer closet. But the truth is, I lived long enough, I talked enough to pe people, whether we're in the church or outside of the church, to learn that there are some people who actually think they really do think this, that, that they're making themselves nuisance when they come to God in prayer. They just don't want to bother God. And sometimes you even hear, so, God, I hope you can do this. I hope. I said, stop. You're not talking to the God I know. You hope you can? <laughs> Remind me of that fisherman who was out of fellowship with the Lord. He's a Christian, but he was out of fellowship with the Lord for a long time. And he went to sea with a group of his non-believing friends. And when a storm came up threatening to sink the boat, his non-believing friends begged him, pray, please pray. Uh, well, he said, it's been a long time since I prayed. And, but at their urging, he finally cried out, Oh, Lord, I have not asked for anything for the last 15 years. And if you help us get out to safety now, I promise I'll never bother you again for 15 more years. That's how people think. What a contrast with David, the man whose heart after God's. A man who learned how to turn the dark cave of Adullam into a prayer closet. We saw in the last message how David got into a fleeing mode. Remember that? Some of you might be visiting with us today, and we're in the middle of a series from the life of David, and a man whose heart was after God. He was not perfect by any stretch of imagination. He sh we, I've been showing you his Achilles heels. I've been showing you how uh, clay feet he had. But he was fleeing. He was fleeing from the Lord. After the great victory on the Valley of Elah when he slayed the giant, now he's fleeing just like Elijah's done before. After the great victory on Mount Carmel, he flees. And here, the one thing I know about fleeing from God, and I don't mean just physically fleeing from God, but you could be fleeing from God on the inside. You could be in the pews of the church, but you are mentally, emotionally, spiritually, you're fleeing from God. That's what I know about God without fleeing from God experientially because there was a time in my life when I was fleeing from God. It causes you to go in a downward spiral. First, you see, when David began to flee from God, he lied. But that's not all. He actually asked Jonathan to lie for him as well. 
Then he pretended to be a, ba- a mad, a madman. And then he went to the enemy of God, the Philistines, King Achish. Then he got to the bottom of degradation. And in his bitter spirit, David writes Psalm 118, verse 9. When even the king of King Achish rejected him, here's what he said. Everything you see in the psalm comes out from the life of David. He said, it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. In 2 Samuel 22, I hope you turn to it with me. Here in 2 Samuel, he begins on the road to restoration after he began to flee from God, allowing his fear to get hold of him. David takes the very first step of stopping running and turning to the Lord. Stop running in fear and begins to trust. Remember I told you there is no such thing as a fearless person. Remember that? There's no such thing as a fearless person. We saw Saul was fearful, but David was not. But now we see David is fearful. He was sitting here literally in fear. Do you know that fear always, 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 when it's hosted, when it's cuddled, when it's allowed to uh, prosper inside of you, will overwhelm your faith every time, every time. David did this. I did this. So did you. Every time you allow fear to take hold of you, it's going to overwhelm your faith. Here in the cave of Adullam, I've been to the cave of Adullam's in years gone past. David writes three psalms. It's, by the way, it's a very dark place. He writes three psalms, Psalm 34 and Psalm 57 and Psalm 142. In Psalm 142, you will learn how to turn his darkness into light. Here in this psalm, he's beginning to learn to turn this dark cave, this forbidding cave, into a prayer closet. Here he said, I look to the right and watch, but there is none who takes notice of me. I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Why does David talk about looks to the right? Because in the courts of law back then, probably it is as it is today, the lawyer, the one who's defending you, the defending lawyer, sits at the right hand of the victim, of, of, the, of the accused. And he sits at the right hand. And so he looks to the right hand. Nobody's defending him. He has no lawyer in the court to speak for him. He's all alone. Nobody to defend David. Now, please, 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 just focus with me for a minute, okay? Because this is really important in your life. If it is not right now, at some point in your life, you're going to need it. So listen carefully. David was anointed with oil by the prophet Samuel to be the future king of Israel. And yet, he's hiding in a cave. What happened? So don't dismiss what I'm going to tell you. (laughs) You see, when you find yourself in the cave of Adullam, 
you can be sure that God wants you to learn some things that the only way you're going to learn them, the only way I'm going to learn them is in that cave. Uh, God wants to teach us some lessons. Uh, God wants us uh, to uh, realize uh, that when we get into the cave of Adullam, it's because He wants to purify us. When He allows us to be in the cave of Adullam, even if we put ourselves there, uh, when you are on your own cave of Adullam, whatever your cave may be, remember, you are now in the training school of God. So you better start learning because God wants you to emerge from that cave victorious and graduating top of your class. Look at verse 1, 1 Samuel 22. Hope you all got it in front of you. Follow it with me. David left Gath. That's down in, in the Gaza Strip. And he escapes to the cave of Adullam. Now, if you read the epistle to the Hebrews, uh, chapter 11. By the way, I have a series of 15 messages just on that chapter. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Sarah. By faith, by faith, by faith. But if you read carefully, all these names, we call it Faith Hall of Fame, Every one of those people have spent time in the cave. Every one of them. Joseph spent time in the Pharaoh's dungeon before he became second in command. Moses spent 40 years in Midian before he was able to go and be the leader of his people. Daniel spent time in the lion's den before he became second in command in the Persian Empire. Uh, Jonah spent time in the belly of the whale before he received victory in Nineveh. Paul spent time in jail hanging on a driftwood on the Mediterranean Sea before he got to his destination. Please hear me right. This is important because most likely none of us have ever spent time in a physical cave. Am I right? Very few of us. You want to raise your hand if you ever spent time in a cave, in a real cave? I want to talk to you. God bless you. I like to talk to you at the end of the service. I just wanted, I stood, I went to Adullam one time. I've never been back because it's just so dark. It's so foreboding. And, 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 and so you, you want to run away from it. But even if you have not spent time in a physical cave, I am absolutely certain that most of us at some point have been in a spiritual cave or in a financial cave or in an emotional cave or in a psychological cave or in a health cave. And that is why I don't want you to miss what I'm going to tell you, because if you found yourself, if you are there in a cave right now, whatever it may be, or going to be in a cave at some point, I want you to listen carefully. There is no shame in being in a cave. There is no dishonor in being in a cave, whatever your cave may be. What really matters is what you do in your cave. Can I get an Amen. What matters is how you use that cave experience. What matters is how you react to your cave. In my life, I can testify to you, when God permitted me to be in caves, and I've been more than once, again, not a physical cave, even if it's a cave of my own making, Whenever God permits it, it's because 
he wants to get my attention. One time he put me on a physical cave when I was on my back for two weeks, I couldn't move. And after a week, half time, and I was crying to God, I said, now I got your attention. <laughs> See, when you're on your back, there's only one way to look, and that's up. Because God wants to say something to you that you're not willing to listen, you're not willing to hear until you are in that cave. It's because the school bell has rung, and I am now in class, and I have better learned very quickly so I can move on. Look at what David did. He turned the underground asylum into a prayer closet. He turned the solitude into a concert hall. He turned the silence of the cave into the altar of the sacrifice of praise. David turned the darkness of that cave into a tabernacle of worship. David turned the bitterness, his bitterness, in that cave into the sweet-smelling incense of praising and worshiping God. He turned his loneliness into a sweet fellowship with the Lord. He turned his fear into, in the cave into a faith victory and a faith factory. He turned the hollow emptiness of the cave into a symphony of petition. He turned the death of the cave into a vineyard of fruit in the vineyard. Question. What do you do when you are in your own cave of Adullam? You know what most people do? Most people, the way they react is they start with a litany of excuses. Well, you know, if so-and-so didn't do this, I wouldn't be here. But if, you know, if so-and-so did this, and if, if this did not happen, it was just litany of excuses. There are others who turn their caves into a pity party. You know the one that nobody turns up to? You invite a lot of people, but man, they're not going to show up. <laughs> pity party. Most people turn into their caves into a bit of anger. And they're angry, and they are angry. Most people turn their, their dungeon into despair. They give up. What's the use? Please, I'm pleading with you. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. There's a far superior way to dealing with your cave. Pray like David did in your cave. One of the old reformers used to say, it is not the arithmetic of our prayer how many they are. It is not the rhetoric of prayer how eloquent they are nor it's the geometry of prayer, how long they are, nor it is the music of prayer, how sweet our voices are, nor the method of prayer, how order, orderly they are, nor it is even the theology of prayer. Theology and doctrine, you know, it's vitally important to me. Important as it is, no matter how sound doctrine your prayer might be, the most important prayer is that prayer of a fervent spirit. Can I get an amen? amen? The prayer of a fervent spirit availeth much. You can certainly sense that fervor in David's prayer in Psalm 142. 
I cry with my voice to the Lord. With my voice, I make supplication to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before Him. I tell my trouble before Him. Now, beloved, from my experience, and it may be limited, if you pour your trouble out to anybody who would listen, are you listening to me say amen? This is very important. <laughs> if you, you start pouring all your troubles to somebody, doesn't matter who it is, soon they're going to get bored with you. And the moment they see you coming, they'll run away the other way. <laughs> Trust me. But if you pour your heart out to the Lord, He will never get bored with you. On the contrary, He loves to hear your voice. Oh, by the way, don't get angry with me, what I'm going to say, because we are just at the first half of verse 1, okay? <laughs> but let me encourage you, I'm getting there. When David's brother and his father's household heard about it, they came down to be with him. Here's a piece of good news. <laughs> David may have been a fugitive from Saul, but those who loved him unconditionally, they came to comfort him. David may have been a hunted man by Saul's henchmen, but is still a beloved brother and a son to his family. Someone once said, a true friend, a true friend is the one who comes in when everybody else is leaving. A true friend, the one who comes in to your life when everybody else is departing. Arthur Pink, a great theologian from yesteryear, said, David might be in the eyes of the world in disgrace, but that makes no difference to those who love him. So they come. Verse 2, we're making progress. Verse 2, we see not only his family and his loved ones have come to be with him, <laughs> but a whole motley crew <laughs> showed up, 400 of them. Look at the description in verse 2 of those, that motley crew. Those who were distressed, those who were bankrupt, those who were discontented. What a great membership list of a church. Yeah? Amen? 400 of them. And David became their leader. Beloved, listen to me. Listen to me. This is important. Whether you agree with me or not, this is a picture of all of us who love Jesus. It really is. It's a picture of those of us who, out of desperation, came to the Son of David, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a picture of all of us who came to God's anointed Messiah, Jesus. This is a picture of all of us who have come to the man of sorrow who is acquainted with grief. This is a picture of all of us who came to Him out of desperation, uh, declaring our own spiritual bankruptcy, that we could not save ourselves, that we could not help ourselves, that we could not, no matter how much we, good work we do, can save ourselves. Those of us who have acknowledged that we cannot 
at any, under any circumstances get ourselves to heaven. Those of us who are incapable of pleasing God by all the good works that we do. This is a picture of all of us who have become discontented with what the world is offering us, and we needed only Jesus. This is a picture of us who love the Lord Jesus Christ. came to the son of David, the Lord Jesus Christ. The God-man Jesus, who healed the sick without sending them a bill, who fed the hungry without charging them, who clothed the naked with his own righteous robes, who set the demon-possessed free and raised the dead. That's our Savior. That's our captain of salvation. That's our Lord Jesus. And He still welcomes all of us. He still welcomes all of us who are weary of this world troubles, of this world bad news. He still welcomes everybody who would come to the end of themselves and said, I cannot help myself. I cannot do it. And He welcomes you. Those of us who are heavy laden and carrying burdens that we have no business carrying, load them down on Jesus. He's, wa- he's waiting. He's saying, come to me. I want all of you who declare spiritual bankruptcy, all of you who are dis- discontented, all of you who can find no satisfaction in this world, come to me. For Jesus said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and, and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture said, streams of living water will flow out of him. Those who are in distress, bankrupt, and dissatisfied with life came to David. What an amazing picture. What an amazing picture in the Old Testament of us in the New Testament. Here, Saul is a type of Satan. I'm not saying Saul was Satan, but it's a type. There are types in the Bible. Pharaoh is a type of Satan. Here, Saul is a type of Satan. He's a picture of Satan, the prince of this world system. He's in authority. He's in power. Make no mistake about it. Satan is in control of this world system. You know, if you don't know this, turn the news on for just five minutes. I promise you. And like Satan, Saul appears to have the upper hand. He killed the priests of God. He did the unthinkable. His soul is like the devil. The Bible said that Satan comes to steal and to destroy and to kill. That is why he is a type of Satan. Satan appears to be powerful right now. Satan appears to have an upper hand right now. Satan appears to have all the powerful and the rich and the famous and, and those in the secular media on his side right now. Satan tried to destroy God's Messiah, but he failed. So he tries to do the next best thing, discouraged his children. But David, by the same token, is a type of Christ. Again, he's not perfect, he's not Christ, a type of Christ. Typology, typology is, is, is a, a, a very legitimate method of interpreting the Bible. He's a type of Christ, the captain of our salvation. <laughs> he is rejected by the religious leaders. He is ignored by politicians. He is persecuted by those who are bishops in the church. He was hunted down 
by the government, and finally they crucified him. But for all of those who put their faith in him, those who placed all of their trust in him for their salvation, he is their captain, he is their deliverer, he is their protector. He is their comforter. He is their shield and buckler. He is their friend that sticks to them closer than a brother. Now, beloved, when Jesus rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, I was doing a lot of filming on, on that mountain just last week. And you'll see them in due course. My colleague, Mike Pearson, did a lot of filming in the heat of the sun. Because there the angel said to the disciples as they saw Jesus ascending into heaven, he said to him, this same Jesus, not somebody else, this same Jesus whom you saw ascending into heaven is coming back. And when he comes back, he will rule supreme as king of kings. He will reign in majesty and splendor. He will rule with an iron scepter. He will be the only sovereign. He will have every knee, whether they like it or not, bow to him. He will have every tongue, whether they want to or not, declare him Lord. Those who have rejected him will tremble in fear. Those who have, the, have scorned his name will experience gnashing of teeth. Those who have scorned his kind invitation and would not come to him, they will cry and no one would hear them. Those who have mocked him will be put to shame. What a shame, what a shame, what a shame. I have a neighbor. He's hovering between life and death right now. I must have witnessed to him a hundred times. And he'll say, no, no, I don't believe that stuff. Breaks my heart. He's not going to make it. Listen to me. Though I don't say this with great joy in my heart. I say it with sorrow for those who have rejected the invitation of Jesus. The day is coming, and beloved, I can tell you, I can tell you as I look at the world today, it might be sooner than any of us think. Those who, are, who have rejected the invitation of Jesus, they will be in gnashing of teeth and trembling. But for those of us who love Jesus... The day of his public coronation will be a day of rejoicing for all the believers. It will be a day of sorrow and terror and fear for those who refuse to bow to him now. But for us, we will lift up our heads because the day of redemption is here. I know I did this before, but I want you to listen carefully. The meaning of the word secular, the word secular means that only this life matters. Uh, nothing else matters beyond this life. Uh, it matters whether you're rich and famous and making it in this life, as secularism. All that matters how you make yourself happy in this life, nothing beyond this life. All that matters is how you get all you can, can all you get, and sit on the lid. In this life, now that you understand, I know I've said this before, but now that you understand, for those of you who might not understand what secular means, now that you understand, think with me. You can see how 
many a sermons in many a church today. How many preachers have fallen in this secular thinking trap? They tell you that your best life is here and now. Give me a break. Christ did not die on the cross so that this will be the best there is. No. He's waiting for His children in heaven, and one day we're going to meet Him on the clouds, and we're going to reign and rule with Him forever. Praise God. Praise God. Give God glory. The sad part for me is that secularism is dominating many a church. Many a church. What a tragedy. What a tragedy. I always, I'm a positive person, and I always like to focus on good news, but you don't know good news unless you understand what the dreadful news is about. How can you distinguish between the two? Here's a dreadful news. It's not just bad news, it's a dreadful news. The more a person focuses on this life alone, the more a culture like ours focuses on this life alone, the higher the rate of depression, the higher the rate of suicide, the higher the, ha- the, 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 higher the unhappiness and unfulfillment in this life, the higher the level of loneliness, the higher the rate of chemical dependence, the higher the rate of dissatisfaction, the higher the rate of discontentment. Can you see it? Can you see it? The more secular we become, the more miserable we are. Our forebears may not have had as much luxuries as we have, but they were contented. They were joyful because they focused on eternity. I want to tell you, my beloved friends, I'm coming close to the end, so I want you to listen very carefully. The moment you realize that this life is mere preparation for the next life. The moment you realize and begin to see this life as a mere dress rehearsal for the next one, only then can you have true fulfillment and satisfaction in life, no matter what the circumstances may be. To every dissatisfied person who comes to God's anointed Messiah King, Jesus, to everyone who recognizes that their need for satisfaction can only come from following Jesus, they will be satisfied in this life. Isn't that the amazing thing? That's the biblical paradox. See, it's like a, a bar of wet soap. You know, you try to hold on, take hold of this life, and it gets away from you. Bar of wet soap. That's what it is. Jesus said it's a water salty water that makes you more thirsty. The more you drink it, the more you want. The more you drink it, the more you want. Until you come to the point of recognizing that all of the money in the world, all of the entertainment in the world, all of the uh, diversion of the world will fail to satisfy you and come to God's anointed Messiah, King Jesus, you will know true satisfaction. It's the only time you will really know true satisfaction. Only then will you know the peace that does not make sense. I'll never forget 
28 years ago. My wife was going through a, being wheeled to go to a very serious surgery. And I said to her, how are you feeling? I was walking with the people. She said, I am absolutely at peace. I said, that's a peace that does not make sense. See, those individuals who, come, who came to David, they recognized the power of God's anointed. They knew that the future is with God's anointed, not with Saul. Uh, they are the ones who recognize that Saul could never give them lasting peace. They're the ones who realize that Saul was a usurper and offered only a temporary fix. They are the ones who saw the temporary authority of Saul, not a lasting authority, as it is God's anointed, from whom the Messiah came. So, they were the ones who converted from Saul to David. They were converted from Satan's kingdom to Jesus' kingdom. They were converted from being under the authority and the domain of Satan to coming under the authority and the domain of God's anointed Messiah. Those were converted from King Saul to kingdom of David. I need to ask you a question as I conclude. I pray to God will haunt every one of us until you answer it to yourself. Which kingdom are you living in? Which kingdom are you living in? What king do you bow to? What authority do you live under? Will you pray with me? And I pray that as we take a moment in silence, that you answer the question, May the Holy Spirit, who authored his book, take those words, imprint them deep, deep, deep into our psyche. Which king do you worship? What kingdom do you live in? To whom do you bow? Where do you spend the majority of your time and effort and energy and treasure? Father, I thank you that you're a God of mercy and you're a God of grace. Even a message like this is an indication of your mercy because there's someone here or somebody watching around the world who's struggling, who are unable to make sense of life, dissatisfied and discontented. Father, I pray that this will not be the final warning, but if it is for the final warning to someone, I pray in the name of Jesus that you help them to open their heart and receive your word, that they will turn to your Christ, your Son, Jesus the Messiah, and receive him as their only Savior and Lord. And for those of us who have known you and walked with you for years, I pray in the name of Jesus Wake us up in time. Wake us up in time. So we realize that we're mere sojourners and travelers. And this is only a dress rehearsal. May we do it well. Prepare well. And look forward to the day of being in heaven, reigning and ruling with you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's stand and bless the Lord in a song.